And I want to read, um, if you remember last week, uh, we picked up this uh, series in John's Gospel, and Andy spoke on Jesus as the gate and as the good shepherd. We're continuing from that passage of scripture. So in John 10, and from verse 22, uh, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one could snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Feast of Dedication, uh, it's another name for Hanukkah. It was uh, an eight-day festival commemorating the rededication of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem in the second century BC. The temple which had been destroyed uh, when uh, the people of Israel went into exile was gradually rebuilt was rededicated in the second century BC. And this was a, a festival to celebrate that and happened every year for eight days. Always uh, in winter, usually it occurs in December. They still celebrate it, though obviously the temple isn't there except for the uh, little bits that are, you can find in Jerusalem. Usually uh, it occurs in December, can start in late November and sometimes can stretch into January depending on, on where it comes in the year. A bit like our Easter, I guess, if you think of it like that. Yeah, I know Easter is in December and January. I meant in terms of a floating, uh, a floating time. So this is why Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time, we're told. And as he walked in the temple courts, the Jewish religious types stalked him. I think that's the best way of putting it. They seemed to do it an awful lot. They were, they were following him. They were trying to catch him out. They were trying to make him say something that they could use against him. And this happened again and again and again and again. And so Jesus had to deal with this constant carping and this constant irritation. I wonder how he felt. 
How do you feel when people constantly carp, constantly have a go, constantly find a negative, constantly look for something which isn't quite right so they can, they can stir things up? Jesus, Jesus would have felt the same. You can imagine Jesus going, and starting again, I'll tell them once more, I'll tell them once more. So let's, let's just review what happened, and then I want us to learn four things from the passage, which I hope will be helpful to us. Firstly, the Jews are following around, tell us, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Jesus, I already have told you. You aren't my sheep, so you don't hear. My sheep do, they know. Stones are picked up to stone him. Now, I have it in, in my mind, I have a, a kind of playground site here, you know, where the, 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 these are Jewish leaders, but they haven't quite got authority to stone him without somebody in authority saying so. So, so they pick up stones going, yeah, 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 we'll stone you, we'll stone you. And Jesus is going, oh. So, for what of these things are you stoning me? What are the good things that I've done? Why are you stoning me? Well, well it's not for that reason at all. We're going to stone you because you claim to be God and you're just a man. And then Jesus, oh, this is clever. Basically, he says to them, look, you like to use words the way you want to. Essentially, he was accusing them of being politicians. All right? You like to choose words which aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, but you apply them in a way which distorts their meaning. So, and Jesus, in a sense, does a little play with them here. And he quotes from uh, Psalm 82, verse 6, and he says, your law, the, old, you know, the scriptures you, you adhere to, talks about people and describes them as, I said, you are gods. Now, if you actually go to the context of Psalm 86, you find that that is a, a, a phrase used to actually highlight the mortality and frailty of, of humanity, rather than to say, oh, look at you, you're gods. It's, it's used as a, a sort of contrary way of looking at it, an excessive expression to reveal the truth. But Jesus cleverly uses the scripture to expose their use of scripture. Then he says, if that could be said of them then, how much more should it be said of me, his very own who has come into the world? If you don't believe me because of my words, consider my works, consider the miracles. You've got no excuse. And so they try to seize him. And he withdraws. We're not told how. I'd love to know how. You know, did the disciples kind of muscle in? You know, oh, over there, lads. You know, what, 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 what? Oh, he's gone. Where's he gone? I don't know. Uh, some of the great uh, films, blockbuster films, will will have Jesus kind of going, sort of whisking calmly out of their sight as they go. I think it's probably more human than that. That's that's it. That's that's the whole story. And sit down now. But I'm not going to. <laughs> We're facing tough days. And the things I want to draw from this passage are, are to help us through those tough days. I don't know what you make of uh, the Ukraine situation, Vladimir Putin and the threats and all that sort of stuff. They're real. They're huge. Uh, last week we sang, um, mm, yes we did, uh, I'll get there in a minute, the Gaither song. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's old age. But we sang about uh, the reality of, of God in difficult situations. And the Gaithers actually wrote the song in the early 70s. 
because he lives I can face tomorrow, wrote the songs in the early 70s when their baby was born. Because the situation then looked so dire that they didn't know what kind of future this baby would have. Okay. Now I just want to say, although there's been a kind of ebb of danger since then, uh, things haven't changed. My mother used to say, you know, when, when we were little, oh, I, I, I don't mind about my generation, but I fear for your generation as they're coming through. And then when our children were born, oh, I fear for the grandchildren, what they're going to have to face. And trust me, so do I now. They're no easy. And then you take it off the global scale and you look at the personal scale. And in this room, if we one by one stood here in front of the microphone and just shared the story of where we're at and the things we're facing, some of it would seem, oh, that's, that's okay. And others would be heartbreaking and really tough because people face tough situations. It happens. In that context, I want to suggest four things. The first one is this. Don't fret about those who don't get it. The, the, the Jewish religious types should have understood. They had the scriptures. They were steeped in the scriptures, but from their own perspective. They were so locked into their legalistic way of thinking that they couldn't see God through them. And I, I'm sure Jesus, as he spoke to them, must be going, not again. You know, I've already told you. But you can't hear. You can't hear because you're not my sheep. Over the years, I've spent many hours in seemingly circular discussions stroke arguments with those who can't grasp what to me and to many of us is so plain and so self-evident as to be ridiculous. But you see, until there's a spiritual dawning, until the, the Holy Spirit begins to open the mind of an unbeliever, then all our words will fall on deaf ears. It's not that the arguments are useless. It might be in some time in the future when the Holy Spirit does bring light, those arguments will be brought back. And say, oh, I remember that bloke. He used to say that sort of thing then. But at the time, it can be a real pain. And this passage just says, really, don't fret. Don't fret. According to the psalm, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that hasn't changed. To deny the existence of God is foolishness. It is irrational and it is nonsense. Now, if you bring me an atheist who wants to debate that with me, I'd love to. And I would make my point and they'd make their point and they wouldn't understand. Because the fool still says in his heart, there's no God. And yet the Bible says what can be known about God is plain from creation. Read the book of Romans. The very way God has put the world together Shout the existence of God. I, I li like the Frank Skinner quote I heard recently, um, where he, he went to see a friend, and his friend said, oh, you're a, you're a believer, aren't you? He's a Catholic, Frank Skinner. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you believe in God? He said, yeah, 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 that's right. He said, oh, don't be silly. He said, it, there's no God. He said, uh, everything just happened. It's a sort of big bang, and it all just happened. Uh, before the conversation started, his friend had just been to put the kettle on. He said, I must go and make the cup of tea. It will make itself. And Frank Skinner said, why? You know, there's a logicality which those who have eyes that God has opened can see and others can't, don't fret. Pray, don't fret. Second thing is don't fear. 
Don't fear the threats of those who are against you. Jesus was surrounded by people, the Jewish leaders at least, who wanted him out of the way, at least in captivity, preferably dead. That's what they wanted. Don't fear. Don't fear. You see, Jesus was utterly safe until it was God's time for the cross. And even then we're told that it was his choice that he made freely in order to win our salvation. So he was never in that sense the victim, never in that sense at the mercy of people. He chose to make himself at the mercy of people. However tough our times may get, and this is the point Jesus makes, however tough our times may get, no one will ever be able to snatch us from the hands of Jesus, and no one will ever be able to take us from the embrace of our Father God. It is not possible. It cannot be. We might begin to go, oh, what, 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 what? Jesus, look, look. God's grip on you is far more secure than your grip on him. And once you put your trust in him, he's going to see you through. He really is. Right to the very last moment, to our final breath, he is going to see you through. That's the promise of the Bible. No one, no one can snatch us from his hands. In fact, Romans 8, 38 and 39 reminds us that nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Vladimir Putin can't do it. A nuclear explosion can't do it. Heartbreak can't do it. The death of a loved one can't do it. The pain that we experience day by day, just in relationships, it cannot cannot separate us from God's love. How does that make you feel? Oh, come on. You know? That security lies in God, thankfully not in me. Yeah? I'll have days when I begin to doubt it. I'll have days when I lose my focus and I get my priorities wrong and I begin to think, oh, 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 and God's got me like that all the time, all the time. I have to say a personal note, compared to many people, I haven't had to deal with that much in my life. But actually, when you add it up, there's been some stuff. There's been some stuff. And that's true for all of us. It really is. Times when I, I felt I failed God so badly that he could... He could never, ever have any time for me again. You been there? Yeah? I've got you. I've got you. Fantastic. So, don't fret about those who don't get it. Don't fear the threats of those who are against you because your times are in God's hands. We used to sing a song. Actually, how long have I got? Oh, I'm doing all right. Right. Years ago, uh, when I was minister of church in, in Woodley and Reading, we had a man come to us who was a uh, retired Salvation Army officer, not officially trained one. He didn't actually start being a Salvation Army officer until he retired. Uh, and then he retired again from that at the age of 82. And he had, uh, he had no family. Uh, years ago, uh, just after the war, he'd been married, had a daughter, but that Marriage and divorce, and they lost total touch with him. They had no 
no links with anybody. And he became a dear, dear, dear friend. And we had to organize his funeral. At his funeral, uh, we sang his favorite song, which rejoices in uh, the title, I'm in his hands. And the chorus is, I'm in his hands. I'm in his hands. Whatever the future holds, I'm in his hands. The days I cannot see have all been planned for me. His way is best, you see. I'm in his hands. Oh. Trouble is, you don't know the tune, so you can't sing it to yourself. But I sing it to myself an awful lot. There you go. Now, so don't fret because of those who don't get it. Don't fear the threats of those against you. Hear him and see his works. My sheep know my voice. You do. You really do. Well, well, all these voices are around. How do I know? Because you spend time with him. And funny enough, we were talking about this in our home group. We sort of met this week because we couldn't meet the week before. The more you spend time with somebody, the more you focus on them and, and consciously are with them, the more their voice becomes unmistakable. Up here in the Northeast, you might think Betty's voice is unmistakable anywhere because she's from Essex. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> Close. <laughs> but actually, even when we lived in Essex, Betty's voice was pretty well unmistakable. Why? Because I've heard it so often. Yes, in a positive sense. Just want to say that. You know, I've heard it so often. <laughs> oh, she's experienced. It's all right. Jesus tells us that his sheep will know his voice. And if we stop and if we pause, as all the voices shout and clamor for attention and all the craziness of the society and the culture in which we live brings its demands, if we stop and pause and focus, we will hear his voice. Yes, through scripture, of course, and we need to soak ourselves in scripture, but as the Pharisees themselves proved, Soaking yourself in scripture just in itself isn't enough. You have to have your heart tuned in to the spirit of God. Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to know your voice. Old hymn used to say, it still does say, Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. That's what it's about. Hearing him that we may share what he says to us in the quiet place, in the, the inner sanctuary of our hearts, as we spend that time, as we listen to his voice, the next time we hear it, it's more obvious. And the time after that, we're so familiar with it, we almost know what he's going to say before he says it. You see, those of us who are so blessed in this way need to recognize that hearing him and seeing his works is a, an ongoing and ever-deepening journey as we seek to understand him more. And those of us who are blessed like this need, need to use the blessing. We need to soak ourselves in the scriptures. We need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to look at all the problems we're facing personally and in the world and all the threats that are being made with an open Bible, with a heart towards God and say, Lord, I want to understand. Please help me. And he will. And he will. So don't fret about those who don't get it, don't fear the threats against you. 
hear him and see his works. Oh yeah, by the way, I just want to point out, God's doing astonishing stuff. All right, there are miracles all around us and we'll see a lot more if we pray for people more often. I keep mentioning that in passing, you know, but anyway. And the final thing I want to say is this, by way of encouragement. You know, many, many, many are still coming. When they tried to seize him, Jesus went off to Jordan and we're told that loads and loads of people went out to him to be with him. And many <coughs> believed in him. If you were to believe our distorted media, you'd think that Christianity and the church were on the brink of extinction. In fact, there was an article about a year ago saying that, you know, in the present rate of progress, the church in Great Britain would disappear by the year 2050. Yeah, right. What people forget is all the statistics are skewed anyway, because a huge swathe of churches in this country never fill in any statistics. The myriad of godless, humanistic, and sex-obsessed voices seek to create a smokescreen hiding the truth and peddling the lie that somehow our sad culture is now superior and has left behind the need for God. I'm going to say something mildly controversial here, uh, but hear me through the whole thing. What Vladimir Putin's doing in Ukraine is awful, it's sinful, and terrible. But to suggest that somehow Russian culture is inferior to our Western culture is a total distortion of truth. We have nothing to be proud about, at least very little to be proud about in comparison. So let's be careful, okay? Let's be careful. And yet, in all this, more and more people are attracted to Jesus. More and more from all walks of life and from all backgrounds are coming to faith in his, him. And history tells us again and again and again that the more the church is marginalized, the more it grows. Isn't that fantastic? Well, the stuff that comes out of North Korea even now is astonishing. The number of people who are turning to Jesus in North Korea when to do so openly would cost them their lives, certainly their freedom. It's amazing. I'll tell you a story that I heard uh, beginning this week, end of last. Uh, my brother keeps sending me occasional uh, links to various preachers he likes online, you know. And uh, by and large, I do too when he, when he sends them. One, I can't even remember his name now, but he, he sent me just a, a two-minute clip of him at the end of a conference when he was talking to other Christian leaders. And he told this story, a true story. He said, an American guy, he said, out of the blue, he said, I, I had an, uh, an email uh, just this week from a lady in England. He said, basically, the email said this. He said, I went to my first concert in 1964. It was a Beatles concert. She said, I was young. And I was so hooked on the buzz that I got from that, I devoted my life from then on in to going to concerts. So I did the Beatles, I did the Stones, and you name it, I've been there. He said, I'm now 64. He said, and the other, uh, actually, talking about a few months ago, a few months ago, she said, I was on my way back from a concert, and I realized that actually the buzz was harder and harder to get. And as I was coming back on the tube, I realized I was a, an old woman, her words, <laughs> I was an old woman who'd spent a pointless life and had nothing to live for. So she said, I got my phone out and I Googled the word hope. And there, she said in the email, was a sermon by you. So I listened to it on the tube 
And when you said, and if you need that hope which Jesus can bring in your life, just reach out to him now. He said, I put my hand up on the tube. You can imagine the people around her, can't you? And she finished the email by saying, and now she said, I'm a Christian. I found a church and I'm loving it. And I'm trying to get as many of my friends as possible to become Christians too. And all the posters that I had on my wall from all the gigs I've ever been have gone. And at long last, I've got a life. What's the point of that? Nobody actually evangelized her. Not obviously. In her need, she began to cry out. And God used Google. Now, you may think, what an amazing story. I just want to tell you this. Stories like that are more commonplace than you think. We had a lady in, in one of our churches that... Uh, she came to faith through a tract that was stuffed in her hand that she scrumpled up and threw in the bottom of her bag. And weeks later, she was turfing out her bag, sorting it out, and she found it. And that was the beginning of coming to faith in Jesus. Does it not excite the life out of you? God is at work. He uses our words as we let our light shine, even when we don't think it's having any use at all. God is at work. God wins, you know. Just thought I'd mention that in case you'd forgotten. People are going to come and still come from every walk of life, from north, south, east, and west. And according to the Bible, when the full number of Gentiles are gathered in, and God has in mind what that means, then there will be a great turning to Jesus by many Jewish people. And then Jesus will come again. That day, I'm going to state the obvious, I often do, <laughs> that day is nearer now than it's ever been. But also, I believe it's nearer now than most of us think. So don't fret. Don't fear. Know you are safe. Revel in his words. And see the harvest that's being gathered in. Listen to the stories. Observe what God is doing. And learn to rejoice, even in the midst of the difficulty. I just want to finish um, with a psalm, really. See, in all this, do you remember when Andy was preaching on uh, Jesus as the good shepherd and the gate? He talked about the security we have uh, within the fold. In other words, because Jesus is the gate, we can go out and enjoy life to the full. Do you remember that bit? And we come back and we're safe and all that sort of stuff. That's right. We can shelter in the love of Jesus. It's not wrong to hide. It's not wrong to say, Lord, I just want to escape for a while. I, I can't cope with what's around me. That's fine. Jesus says, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Experience my love. Experience the security. Experience the safety. And when you're ready, you can go out again, because I'm not going to let you go. This is what the psalmist said many, many years ago. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. Just pause there and say, in a New Testament context, that's the church, folks. 
God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Isn't that fantastic? You never know whether, whether people think I'm being rhetorical or not. The Church of Basildon, I get a lot of yes from people because we had many different cultures and people didn't know what a rhetorical question was. <laughs> but I hope the yes is in there. It's fantastic. Fantastic. So I've asked that uh, we finish with um, a song which I, I love. I just love the song. And it's about the security we have in the midst of all the troubles that arise. <laughs> 